0: It's going to end good. Amen. But I want to read a letter from a wife to a husband. And so as you're getting your Bibles open, just pay attention to this story. It says, today marks one week since that tragic morning, the darkest week of my life. The emotions that I have faced this week have crushed me, mind, body, and soul. The gaping hole I feel inside now that you're gone is suffocating. Oh, how I long to be with you right now. I would give anything just to cuddle up into your chest and hold you again. The last few days have been incredibly difficult. There's countless decisions that need to be made, how to honor you and how to put your body to rest. What will you wear? What type of casket will you lay in? How will we pay for it? What location will be best? Do we buy one plot or two? Who will speak at the service? These are questions we should not be facing. These are questions I was supposed to answer 50 years from now when I'm old and gray. How do I do this without you? Why are you gone so soon? How do I tell the boys? Today we walked the cemetery. It was surreal, overwhelming, and peaceful. At the same time, we felt a small kiss from God when he graciously provided a place for you right next to your dad. Now, every time we visit, we can remember you both and imagine the joy you must feel that you're now together. Tomorrow, I will tell the boys. The life they once knew will never be the same. The dreams they had with you are gone, just like mine. The daily routines, the daddy dates, the donut runs, the soccer games, now distinctly different than before. The house will be quieter, lonelier, and duller without you. You filled our house with joy. You filled our home with fun and laughter that only comes from a dad. You knew how to crack jokes just at the right time to cheer me up when I was feeling overwhelmed. I miss you so much, Andrew, every single part. I hate the loss and the pain, but there's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I can do to bring you back. So I'll choose to lean into God. Stories are flooding in and lifting me up and holding me up. The life change that is happening only comes from God because he promises to work all things together for good. Even this. And thank God I got through that this time. Had a little rougher time in the first service. Chris, if you put that picture up, that was a letter from Kayla to her husband, Andrew, who is a pastor, and took his own life this week at his church in California. At 30 years old, with those three boys less than five years old, fighting depression, fighting anxiety, um, gave in to that. And took his life so I want to talk this morning about depression and I want you to uh, do what we did in the first service and like I said thank God I'm I'm, I'm holding better together this time if you just stand I want to lift up this family Um, churches are doing this all across the United States today probably around the world depression is a real thing it's a real sickness and uh, this should not happen and a man should never get to that place. But I want to lift up his wife and his kids and the church that he leaves behind. Um can only imagine, you know, it's one thing to to battle the death of your pastor, but under those circumstances, it's a whole nother level. So um, they need our prayers, and I, and I really think that we need to lift up pastors around the world. Um, I was saying in the first service, you know, Everybody battles depression. Everybody fights demons and and different things like that. But the pastor, and I'll say that because I'm a pastor, the pastor has to fight their demons and everybody else's. So uh, it's a lonely place. Dad, you did good this morning. Come pray for it again, will you? He's got a little more level mind. But let's lift up this family and just pray for them and, and pray for pastors all around the world this morning.
1: Father, as we lift up this beautiful family, God, we see the heartache, and you see the heartache. These beautiful children without a father and a wife without a husband. We lift them up, God, this morning. We also think about those who are mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. God, all the entire family is suffering right now, but God, you can touch, you can heal, you can restore, you can refresh in this time of hurting. Those people in their church, God, we lift them up and ask you that we will bless them and help them as they're going through this tough time. We can only imagine how hard it is. God, right now, we just lift up this family and let your comforting power of the Holy Ghost rest mightily upon them and bring healing to their lives. We know there's a time that we have to grieve, God, But there's a time of refreshing and healing, God, that's going to happen. And we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, minister. As we pray together corporately, God, right now we just agree together by faith, God, for a supernatural miracle and infusion of your love, God, to them right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. You can be seated this morning. Like I said, it's a little heavy, but it'll get better, but it's not going to go away. Amen. That's that family still facing the worst times ahead. Amen. Depression is a spirit that we have to take control over. We have to face it. You know, I think we need to be real. I've always told you when things happen in the world, it's the best time uh, to come in and deal with that situation. There's a lot of churches and this isn't this isn't wrong or right. Um, There's a lot of churches that teach. Teach. Uh, the way they preach the Bible is they they start in Genesis and they go through verse by verse and there's there's good things about that but um, we do topical sermons in in, the, in this church and it's, it opens up the door to be able to deal with stuff like that. Um, with this going on this morning, I if I was in the middle of Micah, it'd be a little difficult to deal with that uh, with this 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 situation and this uh, tragic story. So I'm gonna have Chris change that thing over to the slides. So you can just know where we're going. Uh, that depression is cured by Jesus. Amen. And uh, there may be some of you in here this morning that are battling depression, have battled depression, are going to battle depression. You'll never get through this life without facing some kind of depression. But I want to uh, preach the good news of the gospel to you this morning and tell you that there are some uh, things that we can do. I want to give you some spiritual prescriptions to keep that spirit of depression off of you, amen, and to be able to walk in the joy that God has given us. But just as you, when you go to the doctor or to get a diagnosis of a sickness, you have to know what the symptoms are of depression. And I want to give you five things this morning that you can write down, and I think these are really important because these are things that you can look for as red flags. This doesn't mean that this is all of them. There might be something missing in your life, but I really believe uh, through prayer and seeking God that these are some things that really uh, are some things, as 1 Kings 19 we will read a little bit of that story this morning, are some things that Elijah was facing. I can tell you this morning that uh, it broke my heart when I read this, um, not just because I'm a, I'm a Christian and a believer, but as a fellow pastor. Um, I read onto this story some more of them, and it's a large church. I don't know how many thousands of people, but it's a very large church, and I read that his father, uh, this man Andrew's father, this pastor's father, uh, it's about seven years ago, he founded the church, um, and then he was diagnosed with leukemia. And seven years ago, he passed away. And I imagine that was a humongous part of maybe where the depression began to start. Can you imagine about 25 years old taking over a large church like that in the footsteps of your father? And so it's been a lot of pressure. I know that he was dealing with it for a long time. I know that he uh, had actually taken a four-month sabbatical to get uh, away and just kind of clear his mind and, and had just come back from that after four months, had just preached two messages And uh, in the sense of what happened, the devil won. Amen. we don't want the devil to win this morning in our lives. So I ask you as we go forward to be praying more for pastors. Be praying more for me. Be praying more for the churches. Be praying more for leaders because it's a heavy burden um, that, that is obviously very serious, as we know this morning from this news. You know, I was talking about and thinking about, I actually read some, 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 uh, some comments, and there were people coming on, and this is where you begin to see the, the, the triumph through the tragedy. There were people posting on the blogs and different things where they were saying that they were repenting for how they had treated pastors. There was people in there and I don't say this to make anybody feel bad. I'm just r- telling you what they were saying. They they said that there was times over the years where they realized they they treated their pastor really bad. They talked about him, they didn't pray for him enough. They and they and they had to come to the realization that they might have been that person that not on purpose but pushes that person over the edge. You know people can be mean. Can somebody say amen? Unfortunately, sometimes Christians can be the meanest people in the world. Amen. It's the truth. Sometimes the church can be the meanest and be the most unforgiving and the most unredeeming people, and that's not the way it should be. A lot of atheists in the world are atheists because of the church people. They say, if that's the way Jesus is, I don't want to follow him. So we learn from this, and and we say, God, help us not to be that way. Help us not to get to a place where we would be the person to push somebody over the edge or put the bullets in the gun for somebody or pull the trigger for somebody. When we run into people every day, church, in the supermarket, at school, at work, we don't know what people are going through. I can tell you that there's been many times in my life over the years of ministry where I have been in a dark place. I've never ever said or thought, or say, I should say thought, actually thought, I want to kill myself, thank God. I've never said that. But I have been in a place where I've, it was very dark and I wish that I was dead. So there's kind of a difference there. And maybe that, that man was in that place. And, but the problem is, is he took the next step. And so there, today I wanted to preach this because I believe that there's people who battle this. And, and, and I know there's medicine. And I know that God uses doctors. But we have the great physician this morning. Can you say "Man, We have the, the God who is the great physician. And he can heal and, des- and deliver any depression in this place this morning. Any fear and any anxiety. Five things if you'll write these down. And I'll go over them each individually. Number one is fear. Fear is something that causes great damage in our lives. Number two, the actual suicidal thoughts actually thinking about taking your life, actually thinking that something in your life is so bad that your life would be better if you weren't here. Biggest lie in the world. Number three, excessive tiredness. I know that sounds crazy, but when you are weak, when you are tired, you are susceptible to the enemy. Amen? Excessive tiredness. Number four, feelings of rejection. These are all red flags, all things that are symptoms of somebody who could take their life, somebody who could be greatly depressed. And number five, no purpose. Having no purpose. Having no reason to get up in the morning and face the day. So let's go back to number one. And I want to, I'm not for time going to have you read the whole story of 1 Kings chapter 19. But I want you to read it later. And, and most of us know the story of Elijah. He's the great prophet, great man of God. God is using him mightily. And, and as he's being used mightily, he's being pursued by Jezebel. She is a woman who is killing prophets and killing leaders, beheading people. Uh, she, he's literally running for his life. Um, he's had some great victories in this area of the scriptures. And a lot of times when you're having your greatest victory is when the greatest attacks come. Amen? Amen. And so we have to realize that. So number one, fear. Elijah's literally, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 3, says he's literally afraid and running for his life. How many have ever felt that real fear? Amen. A real fear in your life that's, that uh, everybody else tells you it's not, there's nothing wrong or it's not that bad, but you really fear for your life. You really fear maybe for your health. You really fear for your family. Those are, if we're real and we're honest, those are things that run through our minds. There are, there are attacks that the devil plays on our minds. Our minds is the devil's playground. Our minds, if you got the verse this morning uh, that I sent out, is something that we have to transform every day. We have to renew our minds every day, and we'll get into how in just a few minutes. But we have to understand that this is a place where the devil wants to play. This is a place where the devil wants to throw thoughts in. And and fear is real. It can seem real. But I I don't use acronyms a lot, but I do like that one where it's false evidence appearing real. It doesn't mean that there's not something scary because if you think about Elijah, he was really facing somebody who physically was taking people's lives. It wasn't like there was a rumor He was seeing people be beheaded. He was seeing people die. They were were killing the prophets. And so there was an actual real fear for his life as he was going and running away from her. The Bible tells us that he literally ran in a span of of time over 100 miles. That's a long ways in Bible times. Amen. And so he's running for his life and false evidence is appearing real. I remember in, being in, in Costa Rica, and I've mentioned this before, at a very dark, probably the darkest time ever in my life, was around 30 years old. As a missionary, I lost a very close friend of mine, and I went through a deep depression for about six months. And like I said, I never got to a place where I wanted to take my life, but it was very, very dark. It was, it, it, there was nothing wrong. The church was good. The ministry was good. My marriage was good. My daughters were good. Nothing was wrong but I was battling a, a, a real, real battle in my mind, and I was afraid, and, I, and, and my friend that died was a basketball player, and he died at 27 years old of a heart attack. He just dropped dead, and I've told guys over the years, I don't know how it is for females because I'm not a female, but guys usually around 30 years old have not a midlife crisis, but they have a moment when they realize that we're not going to live forever anymore. We realize all of a sudden that we can't uh, defeat everything and that we are mortal. There's something where we begin to realize, wow, and some of you men, if you haven't gotten to 30 yet, watch out for that. And if you're over 30, you might look back and remember there was a time when something hit you, fear came upon you. And so in this battle of depression, I remember times where I literally sensed and did not see but literally sensed the death angel in my room. I felt like it was suffocating me. I felt like it was trying to take me out. It was a real battle. How many know that for you, it's real? Somebody else can tell you that's not real, but for you, it's real. And there were several times I got up out of my bed and drove the car. Carla probably didn't know because she sleeps so heavy. and drove the car to the emergency room. To check my blood pressure and here's the interesting thing although nothing was really wrong with me false evidence appearing real was causing my heartbeat to be very high it was very high when they took my blood pressure but there was nothing wrong with me so my mind was causing a reaction in my body to believe something causing me to feel a certain way now all these things will kind of tie together I want you to know this isn't for everything But I truly believe from what I've been through, a lot of physical ailments that we have in our life are tied to stress and anxiety and fear. I know we've got some nurses, we've got some people in this place that, that know some medical things, but I, I, that, that, that chemical reaction from your brain that tells you this is bad sends stress through your body, causes all kinds of problems, and if you don't get a grip on it, and you don't defeat it by the blood of Jesus, it's going to get a grip on you. And we're listening to a real experience here, a real person. This is not I wish this was a made-up story. I wish it was just an example, but today that man is in eternity and he's left his wife and kids by themselves because he allowed fear to destroy him. Number two, suicidal thoughts, meaning you're not grabbing them. You're not taking them captive, as the Bible says. You're not getting a hold of them. And instead of you dominating your thought life, your thought life is dominating you. You have to be careful of that. You have to be careful that what you're thinking is making sure it's godly and it's lined up with the Word of God. Suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies. There are people who have families. Families. You're in families where you have, I I read on that blog as well, some lady got on there and said that her father had committed suicide and her son had committed suicide. There are families who deal with that. It's in the family. It's in something that it's there that you've got to fight. You've got to bind it. You've got to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. We're going to break this curse. We're going to break this lie of the devil. We're not going to allow this to keep coming on to me. It might have been something in my family, but it's not going to be in this one. And you bind that in the name of Jesus. You take authority over it. So those suicidal thoughts are dangerous. In verse 4 of 19, Elijah prays that he would die. He says, I wish I was dead. And that's kind of like I said where I was. Maybe you've been there at some point. Not that you take your life, but you thought, man, it'd be better if I just was gone. Although we don't think about the consequences of that. We don't think about who we left, leave behind. We don't think about all those different things. He says, I've had enough, Lord. And then he says this. He doesn't say, he doesn't say I'm going to take my life. <coughs> he says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He says, God, please take me out. And and right there, I kind of mentioned this in the first service. Church, that's why we have the blessed hope this morning. How many are looking for Jesus to come back for us? How many are sick and tired of this world? Amen. You don't love this world, and you're ready for Jesus to take us home. Amen. I don't love this world. The more I love God, the less I love this world. I don't want to be a part of this world. I want to be with God. Amen. I want to be with the Lord. And so we have to be careful. I I wrote, I I said in first service, write this down under suicidal tendencies. It's a spirit of quit. Spirit of quit. Don't quit. You cannot lose this battle if you don't quit. You cannot lose. You've got to stay in the race. You've got to say, I'm I'm going to get some help. I'm I'm going to reach out to somebody. Somebody's going to help me. Now, these are kind of all tying together. Number three, excessive tiredness. In verse 5 it says he lays down under a tree and he falls asleep and he slept for a couple of days, maybe longer. He is out. He is so tired that he he falls asleep and, and doesn't even, does, you ever been so tired that you don't even try and you fall asleep? Here's when you know you're really tired because I just came back from another side of the world. You can sleep when you don't want to and you can't sleep when you want to. That's how tired you are. You, 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 you're sitting in a chair and you fall asleep. But when you go to lay down and go to sleep, you're wide awake. That's tired. That's excessive tired. Some people live like that. Some people drive like that. Some people, that's, they're, they're a walking zombie because they're so tired. And sometimes they're not doing anything. They're busy, but they're not doing anything. I just spent some great time with my pastor in Africa. And it's got great conversations, great table side conversations about the ministry. And I just kept thanking my pastor that when I was in Costa Rica, how many times he spoke to me and told me from him learning, go be with your family. We'd be done doing some ministry. We'd be done preaching. He'd, 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 say, he'd always say, go get some rest. How many know Jesus rested? Jesus took naps. Amen? Sometimes for long periods of time and sometimes in the middle of the storm. How many want to get to a place where you're so at peace with God that you can sleep through the storm instead of being waken up by it? Come on, somebody. That's what I want. I want to be able to just go to sleep and take a nap. doesn't mean you don't care. It means that you believe in Jesus, and he's greater than those problems. And so you can go, and you can be tired, and you can, you can do all these things, but if you don't rest, married couples, go out on dates. Families, eat together. Families, go take walks together. Families, work hard, minister hard, but rest hard. Amen? There's a time for everything. And so it's resting. the time for resting is not right now for us volunteers and servants in the church, right? But there's a time for it. There's a time in the afternoon. There's certain moments. But you've got to rest because if you don't deal with the spirit and the excessive tiredness, it will wear you out and you'll lose. Number four, this is a big one, feelings of rejection. A lot of people live their lives feeling rejected. Now, this is interesting because Elijah says in this story, in verse 10, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with a sword. And here's the attitude you have to be careful of. He says, I'm the only one left. Don't ever get to the place where you think you're the only one doing something for God. That's not a good spirit. Sometimes it might be true. It might be true that you're the only one doing something, but I doubt it. Amen? Can I get a better amen on that? Don't get to that place where you say, I'm the only one. He says, says, God, I'm the only one preaching. And God says, I've got 400 prophets. Reserved. I got other people. Listen, today it might seem like nothing's going on, but there's churches in China underground. There's churches around the world that are having revival and they don't need the things we need. They just want God. Amen. How many want to get to the place where it's all about God? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about His presence. There's people around the world, they don't need air conditioning. They don't need to have a car. They don't need to have things. They just want God. Amen. Number five. This is a big one. No purpose. If you don't have a purpose. Now, the, I could preach 10 messages on that part. The purpose that God has for us. He has purpose for us. When you are miserable, when you are depressed, when you are down, it's because you are walking inward. When you begin, when you begin to come inward and you begin to focus on yourself all the time, that's a dangerous place. The purpose that God placed us on this earth is to do something for him, is to give glory to him, is to tell other people about him. When you are struggling with something, the best thing you can do is go tell somebody about Jesus. The best thing you can do is is say, you know what, I'm getting up tomorrow, and I'm going to have a purpose, and and you might not know what you're going to do, but you say, God, lead my steps. Lead me to somebody who needs Jesus. When you go to another part of the world, when you go to another part of a city, you begin to see. So a lot of people say, man, I need this and I need that. You know, when we were over there in, 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 uh, in Nairobi walking around, we were near a store, and they have a lot of security because of if few, some of you remember a few years ago they had that humongous mass killing in one of their malls. And so since then they've upped their security big time. We need that kind of security in our schools. But I'm talking metal detectors, and they got the people. Nobody can go in or out without being checked, the bags and everything. And so we were doing that every day, and we just kind of, after a while, see security guards that we recognized, and they started making friends with us and talking to us, and one guy said, I want to go home with you. He says, take me back to the United States. He says, all you got to do is pay, pay me my salary, and I'll, do, I'll, I'll work for you. I'll do whatever you want. Of course, that was never going to happen, but he was p- p- pitching his, his, his idea. Guess what he made a month, working about 12 hours a day. Some of you some of you in here think, man, I wish I could make more. That's great. Make more money is great. We could all use more money, but we need some perspective. Guess what he makes a month, $130. $130 a month, working six days a week, 12 hours a day. Me and Kristen broke that down, that it's about $5 a day a whole day for five dollars that's depressing amen but what we complain sometimes about that some of us make five dollars a minute they make it five dollars a day so you know you can think how can I make a difference how can I how can I make somebody happy we we're getting some ice cream at one point and and we just started talking to this lady she was super nice and and I gave her ten dollars. And she jumped up and down like she had won the lottery. I'm not kidding. Ask, you can ask her. She was so excited. She was telling her coworker for ten dollars, ten dollars. What is ten dollars to us? Nothing. Even yeah, a meal at a fast food restaurant. But I gave her ten dollars and and paid two days' wages for her. So what I'm trying to say is when you help somebody, I kind of enjoyed it. I felt like I was rich over there. Like giving people, I was giving people money. I felt so good. I wish I could do that all the time. But when you, when you are down or depressed or tired or fearful or going through these thoughts, you need to get out of yourself and get your mind on somebody else and see that there's a greater need than yourself. Go help somebody and you'll get happy. Dwayne, that was better than that. Their, your amen was good, but everybody else's was pretty weak. Amen. That was a good place to say amen. Get out of yourself and go help somebody. Well, I'm so depressed. I'm so down. If you don't get out of yourself and go help somebody, you're going to get more depressed. The way you get out of that depression is go see a need. Go meet a need. Go meet a need. Amen. Amen. Have a purpose. Have a reason to wake up. This is important. There were, I, I should have figured this out between services, but there was a Marine or a Navy SEAL who does a video. Did anybody get it clear? Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL thank you. Navy SEAL who has a video, and he says, every morning that you need to wake up and make your bed. Some parents should have said amen right there. Some husbands and wives should have said, y'all missed your opportunity right there, amen. But you should wake up and make your bed. And he says the reason is, is when you wake up and make your bed, you have done something, you have accomplished something for the day if you don't do anything else. And so this is why it's important that we wake up and pray. This is why it's important that we wake up and read the word. Because if you wait to do it till at night, you're not going to do it. If you wake up in the morning, you get busy, and you keep hitting that snooze button, and you say, I'll pray later, when next time you say you're going to pray, it'll push off again, and it'll push off again. And before you know it, you'll be three days without praying. Before you know it, you haven't read the, the word since last Sunday. Before you know it, you start getting carnal. Before you know it, you start getting angry. Before you know it, you start getting depressed. Let me tell you something. This is, As I begin to change direction to close today, what you have to do is two things to defeat depression, two things to stay happy, two things to make it for God. You need to be in his presence, and you need to be in his word. You need to be in his presence, and you need to be in his word. I'm going to give you some verses to close. So y'all got those five things to watch for? I feel like some of you are saying, man, I got all five of those and about three other things I can think of. Well, good. We're going to have an altar call in a minute, and God's going to get you set free from all of them. But I'm telling you, these are things that can keep you from getting to that place. And I was also thinking how thankful I am. I believe it's an independent church in California that he's a part of. I'm not positive, but I thank God that I'm part of a fellowship of churches that I have other pastor friends that I can reach out to, other pastor friends that I can talk to, that I can say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Can you pray for me? And, and just as I have other pastors, uh, you have other people that you, Dwayne said it after the first service, go back and fellowship after church. Some of you shoot out of here like you're going to die if you stay around. Some of you need to stay in fellowship a little bit. Get to know somebody. Amen. That's what's powerful about a church body is that when we have a need, you can call somebody. Now, we don't all have the same makeup. We don't have, all have the same hobbies. We don't have all the same things in common. But I promise you there's somebody in this church that has the same things as you that you can relate to. You just haven't met them yet because you're out in the car driving home. Meet somebody, make a friendship, find somebody that you can go get coffee with during the week, that you can call and say, you know what, we have a similar struggle, we have a similar family, we have a similar situation, and reach out to that person. Reach out to that person. I can't do it all. I can't deal with all your needs. Moses in the Bible, his his father-in-law said, stop trying to do it all yourself and get some help. As a church grows, everybody comes, becomes involved and everybody helps everybody. That's what the church is for. And so we have to be in the word and we have to be in his presence. Here's a few verses, if you'll write these down as I close, that are medicine. Here's your prescription. Here's your prescription. Proverbs 12, 25, such a powerful verse. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety in a a man's heart weighs him down. But listen to this. But a good word makes him glad. How many times have you come in to a service, come in with a situation, come in with a struggle, and the word of God spoke to your situation? That you came in hurting, you came in anxious, you came in burdened, but the word of God spoke like medicine to your soul. Amen? So the word is medicine. Medicine. That's your prescription, God's word. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, listen to this. Cast all your cares. Another word for that is anxiety. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Some people say, oh, nobody cares for me. How about God? How about God? God's like, I care. Why don't you try talking to me? How many times do we go to other people? How many times do we go to the shrink? How many times do we go to the bar? How many times do we go to everything else but God, and God says, I'm right here, and I can handle all your cares if you just cast them on me. But you know what we do? We go cast our cares on somebody else that's got cares. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another for healing. So it's good to talk about those things and be real with each other, pray for each other, but take it to God first. Take it to the Lord. He can handle it. Cast all your cares on me, he says, because I care for you. Here's another one. i got two more. Philippians chapter 4. This is a big one. Probably the most I give to people when I'm telling someone they're struggling with something, I just is probably the verse I use the most. Philippians chapter 4. Six through eight. Do not be anxious or stressed or depressed. I'm throwing words in. It says anxious. Or stressed or depressed or bothered or burdened or angry. Don't be caught all those things about anything it says. And how many know anything means anything? Well, you just don't know my situation. You just don't know what I'm going through. God does. Ain't nothing God hasn't seen. Nothing catches God. Let me tell you something. You think, man, God don't know what I'm going God knew before it happened. Well, where was he? he? He's God, gave us a free will, and you probably put yourself in that situation. Can I get an amen? A lot of times we put ourselves in those situations. But he says, don't be anxious about those things, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to your neighbor. God. Let your requests be made known to God. And guess what happens? And the peace of God, the peace, how many want the peace of God? says, that surpasses all understanding will come upon you and guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he says, here's how you do it. Here's how you apply the medicine. You got the prescription in your hand. Here's how you apply it. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue in anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. There's a lot of negative to look at. There's a lot of things to focus on that are not godly. He says, focus on good things focus on noble things focus on pure things if you do that your mind will stay clear stay in his word and I got one more for you this is the last one most important most definitely the most important Psalm 16 verse 11 I said you need to be in the word and you need to be in his presence he says in your presence now I want you to think with me this is David writing this not too many people in the Bible had it worse than David but David also caused some of those problems for himself so we can relate he did some great things he made some great mistakes but we know he's a psalmist he wrote a lot of songs he knew how to worship God but he came up with this conclusion he said in your presence he didn't say in, in the bar he didn't say at school he didn't say with a friend or a family member or at a movie he said in your presence is fullness of joy when you get in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. There's joy in the presence of God that you can't get anywhere else. You have to learn. I'm telling you, listen, you have to learn to get in the presence of God. We are carnal people in a carnal world. Surrounded by, we wonder, why? how come I'm not happy? How come I'm not, how come I'm not full of joy? Well, you have 24 hours a day in this world. How much time of that do you spend in God's presence? You have seven days a week where you're at work, where you're you're watching TV or you're watching movies or you're listening to music, all that worldly stuff that's coming into your life and you wonder why you're depressed. How much time have you spent in the presence of God? In the presence of God. He says in your presence is fullness of joy. And then he says this, then I will go to the altar of God. Then I will go to the altar of God. He says to God, watch this, my greatest joy. My greatest joy. Answer a question this morning to yourself. You don't have to answer me. Is God your greatest joy? Is He your air you breathe? Is He your satisfaction? Is He your peace? Is He your happiness? If anything else comes in and takes his place, he steps back and says, I'm sorry I can't share my glory with anybody. But I'm here. He's he's an ever-present help in time of need. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, all over this place there's needs. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's physical ailments. There's tiredness possibly suicidal thoughts in this place maybe not today but some point in their life maybe in the future but God if we'll listen to your word this morning and we'll take heed and we'll we'll learn from this horrible tragedy you can help us stay out of that that spirit of depression it's so paralyzing and so powerful and so real the Bible says in Nehemiah the joy of the Lord is my strength. God, we have to be full with your joy, full of your joy. We we need your joy this morning, God. Father, we ask you this morning to prepare our hearts to be real with you. Lord, to recognize these areas of our lives and say, God, I'm not going to allow myself to get to that place. I'm going to reach out to somebody after I reach out to you. I'm going to make myself accountable. As I talked to many pastors this week and said we need to hold ourselves accountable. We need to make sure we're talking to each other and encouraging each other and lifting each other up because the devil is not playing games. He's seeking who he can devour. He's, he's a roaring lion this morning. And all over this place as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as we close this service, I want to ask how many are sitting in this place I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church I'm not asking you if you've been baptized in water I'm not asking you I'm asking you this if you' passed into eternity today where would you go? I'm asking you this have you been born again? Some people say this is the way I am this I'm like this because this is how I've always been I'm, I'm, I'm this this is who I am Jesus said be born again. You cannot enter into heaven unless you're born again. Let that old man, let that old woman die. Become a new creation. Let all those old things pass away. How many can say honestly before God? Pastor, I need prayer this morning for salvation. I I don't know where I'll spend eternity, but today I want Jesus to become the Lord of my life. If that's you, just lift your hand. Just say, pray for me right now. God bless you. God bless you. That's me. God bless you. I see your hand. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing religious games anymore. I'm not, I'm not just, I, I'm not, I know I'm not, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. God's a holy God. I can't be good enough to be accepted by him. But that's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus came down from heaven, born of a virgin in flesh, and said, I'll pay your price for you. I'll take your pain on me. The Bible says your depression, your your anxiety, your fear, your sin was laid on him. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, The peace that you want to have this morning, that was chastised on his body. It was placed on him so you could have peace. He had the sorrow, he had the pain all in his body for you. Today you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I want to be born again. Oh, man, God changed my life 25 years ago. Changed my life. Doesn't mean it's always been perfect. Doesn't mean it's been uh, an easy road. But I've had the peace of God to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and if I pass into eternity. See, when I was talking about earlier that, that I had that fear of, of, of anxiety and, I, and, I, and I, was af- I wasn't afraid to die. I wasn't af- I knew where I was going, but I was afraid of leaving my wife and daughters. I was afraid of what would be left behind. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid this morning because we know where our home is. Paul said, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Amen. Jesus says, you, you have troubles, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. That's the good news. As we stand this morning all over this place, several hands went up, and I want to ask you to do one more thing, and this is important. If you meant that, if you're serious, and today you want to change, and you want to, you want to be born again, and you want to have a, a new slate and a new life, every person in this place that's saved has done this. Jesus said in his word, he said, if you will confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father that's in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father that's in heaven. There's something about a public confession of my faith that says, you know what? I want everybody to know I'm a believer. I want everybody to know I'm saved. I want everybody to know that I that I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to step out of your seat and come down to this altar. We're going to pray with you right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't look around. Amen. Just come. Just come. And let's lift my hand as they come this morning. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you need to come. Amen. Come on. Come on. There's more coming. Workers, come stand behind them, please. Come on, church. God's dealing with some people this morning. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. As you come to this altar, just begin to talk to God from your heart. speak. He knows you. He loves you. It's not about your words. It's not about eloquent speech. It's just about saying, God, I, I depend on you this morning. I depend on you this morning. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And as you're, as you're praying there and you're kneeling there, you're going to begin to feel the presence of the Lord. You're going to begin to feel God's hand upon you. You're going to begin to feel His peace come upon you. You're going to begin to know that He's working in your heart and He's calling you to be born again. And just say, Lord, I've tried on my own. I've tried to do things my way, but today I'm giving you my life. I know that you have a purpose for me. I know that you have a plan for me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As they're here praying, I want everybody in this place, before we move on, for just one more other thing. I want everybody to repeat this after me. You that are at this altar, just say this from your heart. In your own words with me, just repeat this after me. From your heart, say, Jesus, I need you. I know I was born into sin. I'm never going to be good enough to stand in your presence. And, and the wages of my sin is death. But you said in your word, the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus, forgive me for all my sins. Wash me clean in your blood that you shed on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe with all my heart and confess with my mouth that you are Lord That you died on that cross for my sins, and you defeated death and came out of that grave so I could be forgiven. Jesus, come into my life. And from this day forward, I'm yours. You're my master. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. Please write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's give it Lord a big praise this morning. Amen. Amen.